Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 385th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the brightest young talents in the business. She's a gifted American-British actress with a unique and beautiful look who wowed many with her 2015 big-screen debut in Robert Eggers' The Witch, for which she won the Gotham Award for Best Breakthrough Actor and the Cannes Film Festival's Trophy Chopard Award for the industry's most exciting young female talent and shortly after which she was also nominated for the BAFTA EE Rising Star Award. She further impressed in films ranging from M. Night Shyamalan's Split in 2016 and Glass in 2019, playing the same character in both, through Autumn DeWilde's Emma in 2020, which brought her a Golden Globe nomination. And she has now become a full-fledged star, thanks to her acclaimed portrayal of a chess prodigy battling addiction in Scott Frank's The Queen's Gambit, which in October 2020 became the most watched Netflix limited series ever, and for which she has won Best Actress in a Limited Series, Golden Globe, SAG, and Critics' Choice Awards, with an Emmy quite likely to follow. I'm talking, of course, about Anya Taylor-Joy. Over the course of our conversation, the 25-year-old and I discussed her unusual childhood and how, in a short time, she went from being bullied about her appearance to being a model, how a chance meeting with one of Downton Abbey's stars resulted in her landing an agent and ultimately her breakout part in The Witch, why, shortly before Emma, she very nearly walked away from acting, and why, with The Queen's Gambit, she found herself as drawn to it as ever, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Tanya, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. And uh, I guess to begin with, where in the world do we find you here in the middle of this pandemic (laughs) insanity? (laughs) Um, I've just got to LA um, Uh. and I'll be here for a few days. I'm just staying with some friends and trying to wrap my head around uh, the next couple of projects. But yeah, I'm in LA currently dodging the sun because (laughs) I am a moon baby. So I'm just running from shade to shade right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know that geographically, you know, we could pull out a map to kind of uh, cover your whole movements of your, over the course of your life. But just uh, we always begin on this podcast asking people where they were born and raised and what their parents did for a living. But uh, again, if you can feel free to take a, as long as necessary to just catch us up on how, you know, you've been all over the place. Yes. Uh, gosh, that question always makes me so nervous because I wish it was a straightforward answer. Um So I was born in Miami, Florida, and raised between Buenos Aires, Argentina, and London, England. My dad is Scottish Argentine, and he was an investment banker and then a powerboat racer. And my mom studied psychology and was born in Zambia, raised in Spain. 
and um, she raised the six of us. So that was that was quite a job. And you were the youngest by quite a bit. Yes. So there are seven years between me and my youngest sister, and then my eldest sister is in her late fifties. Wow. So being both the youngest and someone who was moving around a lot, I wonder if you can, you know, have any theories on how that shaped the person that you became. I, I would imagine it has an impact. Absolutely. I think I was always very comfortable around adults because that's just what I was surrounded with. You know, even, even my sister being seven years older than me, all of my references of what was cool were her references because I just thought she was, and still think she's the greatest. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that kind of weirdly prepared me for set. Like when I was 18, I mean, I only just started having friends my own age, maybe five years ago or something <laughs> like that. And I met them through work. Yeah. Um, so that, I think that prepared me in a unique way. And then also because of that, I had to entertain myself because nobody was going to play with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to make all the characters and I had to play everybody because my sister was like, oh, baby, just like stay away. <laughs> do some, yeah. Well, so I guess that might answer the next question, which was just, if you remember when acting first entered the picture at all, I believe that it may have been preceded by dance, which you were pretty serious about as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I loved ballet and I loved music. Um, I, I can't ever remember wanting to be a performer. It just felt like there was something that I naturally gravitated towards. I wanted to do that or I wanted to be an orca trainer because I loved orcas. And then, of course, you grow up and you find out more about what that entails and your dreams are dashed. But that's... <laughs> But that's okay. I think um, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. I think I think this is this is working out okay. Absolutely. So, okay, you, there were a couple of things that I guess happened as you entered your teens that maybe wouldn't happen in every family where uh, you basically kind of picked up and went out on your own, right? I mean, how did that come about? How did that go over with your folks, both? you know, again, geographically going somewhere else, but also leaving school a little early. I know there were a lot of uh, circumstances that that led to that, but I guess just um, not the not the usual course of action for most teens. No, I'm so, so grateful to the relationship that I have with my parents because they always treated me as an equal. They always treated me as if I, you know, I had the right to my own opinions and I wasn't just like, you know, a, a silly kid. So I had a really tough time at school. And when I was about 14, I was really starting to struggle. And I just thought, okay, I need to find something that's going to make me feel better. And I found a directing course in New York. So, you know, I steeled myself and went downstairs and I was like, mommy, daddy, I'm going to New York. I've saved up the money to do it. And I can either do it with you knowing where I am or without that. So you yeah. guys have to make a choice. And my parents very... I think intelligently we're like, yeah, no, we'd rather know where you are. We'd, we'd rather just be aware of that. Um, so that was my first experience of kind of going out on my own and looking for something. Where were your parents at that time? At the time they were in London. Okay. So, so this is a big move. Yeah. So that was, that was 14. We had a family friend in New York who was, you know, she could check in on me and just make sure that I wasn't getting into too much trouble. Um, <laughs> 
But it was such a wonderful experience and it really gave me a taste of, oh, wait, there is a world out there that potentially I could fit into and that makes me feel more um, necessary is the wrong word, just that I have a place and I have mm-hmm. something to offer. Um, so that was 14 and then when I was 16, I, I just had it. I couldn't do it anymore. I tried again. But I just, I guess one thing though. So at 14, you're, so you're in New York living by yourself. Yeah. But and, not, for very, not for very yeah. long. I think okay. it was like three weeks or something like oh, that. Okay. So cause yeah, what yeah. I'm wondering is you're still at that time in school most of the time, like any other kid. Right. And you're still like, you're enrolled yeah. at whatever it would be. High, high school. Mm-hmm. So then, sorry, you, I didn't mean to interrupt your story because then it kind of goes back. You're saying then at 16, what happens? Well, no, no, no. Just at 16, I, I tried again at school. Um, and, it, it, you know, I loved, loved learning, but I couldn't handle the environment. The environment was just programming me to believe that there was something that I was deficient in or that I just wasn't. I wasn't the right kind of person. I didn't have the right kind of look. It was, you know, it's just an all girl school. It was pretty, pretty vicious. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, at 16, I just suddenly thought, okay, I really want to make a go of this. And I, I think it might work out. And so I wrote my parents a letter just saying, I love school. I still want to take my exams. I can teach myself from home, but I want to try and make a go of this acting thing. And I got scouted for modeling. And I think that was really the, um, that was the catalyst of, Hey, I could work and study right. at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I put myself from home for a little bit. Now that I guess, you know, you, you bring up what seems to be the next important turning point, which is, you know, the, the modeling entering, entering the picture, the way I've read about it in, you know, prepping for this, it, it was, uh, not, it, it literally looked like something very different at first, right? <laughs> Yes, yes, it did. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was wearing my mom's heels for the first time because I had like my first quote unquote grown up party and I wanted to practice. (laughs) So I took my dog for a walk in my mom's heels and this black car looked like it was following me. And I just thought, there's no way I'm just watching too much like crime TV. There's, there's no possible way this is happening. But I, you know, I tried to evade the car and it did chased me and so I ended up running um and this man stuck his head out the window and said if you stop you won't regress it and I just stopped dead (laughs) honestly Scott I stopped dead it's ridiculous my survival instincts are just not present (laughs) young lady would you like to get in our van (laughs) yeah just like hey if you stop you won't regret it I'm like that's not weird of course I'm going to trust you strange man um but no, in, inside the car was the head of a modeling agency, Sarah Dukas, who's lovely. And um, she gave me quite a telling off, actually, for stopping. She was like, hey, <laughs> this worked out this time, but please never do that again. And can you come into the modeling agency tomorrow with your parents? And I've never thought I could model. I, that was never something. Well, because you're saying do. that you had actually been bullied for your looks, right? I mean, in, in school. Yeah, terribly so, yeah. So here was... Uh, someone who, not just any modeling scout, I believe she found Kate Moss when she was 14 saying, you know, you're actually beautiful. That must have, what could, how did you compute that? I've never really thought it's, uh, I think maybe because I struggled with it so much when I was little as a 
coping mechanism, I've sort of decided that that's not something that I place my value on anymore. Obviously, I'm not, you know, I'm not superwoman. Of course, I'm insecure. But I just decided at an early age that I had to place my worth on different things. And so the second she said modeling, my first thought was, I've heard of models who are actors. This is an inn. This is a door. And so we, my parents and I went in the next day and I just was very clear about, I want to act. This is what I need to do with my life. And if you could possibly help me out with that, then I will do whatever you tell me to do. And um, luckily she took me very seriously. And I think I only did about three shoots before um, I had a very lucky shoot and uh, I met my agent from that. Well, and, and it, it really is a amazing story because if I, if I have it correct, you're just, I guess, randomly at that time, you're London based, right? And Hey, we need you to go do a shoot at the house they use for Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, that's just sparked a series of really important meetings, right? Well, it was so funny because I remember that day very, very clearly. I was studying for my, um, in England, we have something called the GCSEs, which is like very big deal, very, very important exams. And um, at the time, I'd written to my modeling agency saying, hey, I really need to focus on my exams, so please don't send me any jobs, don't send me anything. And they sent me this one job and said, you really should do it. Like, this is, this is something you should do. And I thought, okay, I can study in between shooting or, you know, whatever. I get there, and the idea was to shoot the female models with the male actors, so it was the cast of Downton and the male actors... Wait, I can't remember what I said, but just flip the inverse of that. Sure, yeah. That's that's that. Um, <laughs> but they were the photographers were so enamored shooting the male models with the um, female actors that they just weren't getting to us. And I remember being in the room thinking, I can either be really, really upset about this, or I can just try and be helpful. And so I started you know, helping out with the lights and, you know, helping pick pins out of people's hair and, you know, trying to make it work because I just thought, well, I might learn something. And then eventually I sat down and I started reading um, a poem that I was going to be tested on, which was Digging by Seamus Heaney. And the lovely actor, Alan Leach, I think, I think he was just really bemused watching like this little blonde thing, like (laughs) run around trying to be every job. And he was like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? What are you reading? Um, And would you recite it for me? And then once I did, he, uh, he just asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I wanted to be an actor. And he put me in touch with his agent and she's still my agent today. And she's amazing. I feel very lucky. Very, very lucky. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where they say, like, there's no such thing as luck, right? It's preparation meets whatever. And it sounds like, you know, it's not, yeah, it was lucky that you were at the same place as, as Alan, but you, that you had something that he noticed correctly was special with, with, I mean, the poem and all of that. So, um, but I mean, it sounds like pretty quickly it went from there, right? I mean, you were, what was the first, I guess the first audition was not, uh, the witch. What was the first audition? <laughs> the first. Oh, good. Oh, my gosh. Oh, you just sparked a memory. Um, first audition was to play the young Angelina Jolie in Maleficent. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wanted it so badly. <laughs> 
it was Disney and I love Angelina. I look nothing like her. I was never going to get it, but you know, I was naive and I thought, oh, miracles happen. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I went in and read for Lucy Bevan, uh, I think at, oh my goodness, which studio? I don't know. Some studio in London that was, I was just enamored. Like from the second we walked in, my mum took me and I was like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, this is where movies are made. This is so exciting. And um, I actually shot Last Night in Soho there. I can't remember uh, the name of the studio. But yeah, I, yeah, I really wanted to, didn't get it, plot twist. <laughs> and then not that long after though, right? It was not, was it even months before you, you were asked to send in a tape for this movie, The Witch? Yeah, um, I did... I think I, I, I did a, a day role on a movie called Vampire Academy and then I got a role in a Viking B movie that was so much fun. But that, you know, I I thought all movies were made in two weeks. It, it took me a, a second to realize that that was not the way that it worked. Um, but yeah, I got asked to audition for The Witch and I went in and taped but just never thought I would get it because Thomason was described as plain. And I just thought, okay, there's a lot of things that I can do, but I'm not, I can't really change my face that much. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, Rob says it was the first tape that he saw, which I, you know, I, it makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. And we should just say, if anyone's not familiar, this is Robert Eggers, who for him, it was his feature directorial debut. You're only 18. This is like a bunch of people on their first big rodeo right I mean it must have did it feel like anyone really knew what was going on when when this was being made oh well I mean Rob and uh Jaron Blaschke are brilliant DP I mean the two of them prepare you know they storyboard everything so in terms of the way that the film ended up looking yes absolutely that was Rob and Jaron's vision through and through um but from my point of view I was just learning everything as we went along. And in terms of an actual shooting experience on a feature film, it, that was Rob's you know, first experience of that. So I just feel so lucky that we were able to learn from each other. And not only that, but that my acting discipline really comes from my teachers who were Kate Dickey, Ralph Ineson and Rob Eggers. You know, those three people gave me my work ethic, gave me the way that I think about um, my role on a film set, which is not that I am the actor, I am a collaborator, and I will help in any manner that I can, if I am allowed to. That is the caveat, if I am allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were having, like, it's a, like a quite a long commute each day to the set, right? And just a mm -hmm. lot of very, um, there was nothing glamorous about this shoot, right? This was just people doing work hard work it was so hardcore and it was heaven absolute heaven it just from the second I stepped on that set I I came home I discovered that there was a home and you know we're all still so close like I just lived with Kate last year for six months you know that we have not disbanded from that because we were six seven hours outside of Toronto in a one street town in one motel with no cell service. There was no way of communicating. And then we're going into work every day and, you know, no spoilers, but like really hurting each other and, yeah. and going to some, <laughs> some very dark places. Yes. And we just had to take care of each other that way. Ralph would drive us into work every day. Um, like dad, but we were just a family. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, let's just say with with the witch, this is 17th century Puritan family Mm -hmm. uh, complications ensue uh, about suspecting each other without spoiling anything. But I guess um, we should note that here you are, you had you had always had a, you know, a desire to act and, and a passion, but you'd never. And to this day, as far as I know, there's never been, you know, quote unquote, formal training. Did you ever feel overwhelmed by what you were being asked to do or, or was it just sort of a I kind of just instinctively know what to do? I I'm very hard on myself. And so I think it's taken me a couple of jobs to realize how I do things and not berate myself for it not being something that looks more studious or looks more intense. Um, Ralph tells a story, which I really do remember because I did want to know. We all came home one day and I wanted to hang out and he was like, no, no, I'm just going to go and do my work in my room. And I was like, what does that look like? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I stand in front of the mirror and I say the lines and I do it. And I was like, okay, I'll try that now. Like, <laughs> I'll give that a go. Um, but I, yeah. And then there's, you know, certain things that are like, I remembered having to do my first crying scene and thinking, oh, okay. The natural way that I would assume this works is you think about really bad things that have happened to you and you keep yourself there. But then the day went on. So by the time they got to me, I'd been crying in my trailer for eight and a half hours oh. and I was tapped out. Yeah. There was nothing <laughs> left. I was like, Oh God, right. I really screwed this up. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it lessons like that, but I guess I was just so, I was just so happy and I cared so much that the character made sense to me. But I think the most important lesson that I learned from the witch was when it ended, I was so sad. Like it was really depression levels of, I couldn't get out of bed. I was, I was devastated. And I I kept thinking, I'm going to go see Rob for lunch now. Like I'm, I'm going to see these people. What is it? And then realizing, Oh, it's her. She is real. And I miss her and I can't be with her again right now. Um, and that, that changed my life. The knowledge that these characters are that real for me just completely shifted everything in my brain. And we got to go back and do reshoots. And I'm so grateful because it was emotional, but I needed it because I, yeah. I hadn't known. I hadn't said goodbye. So when that part of, the movie, of a movie ends, um, let's stay specific to The Witch. The movie, the production ends however many months go by of post-production, then you get the call. All right, time to go to Sundance and we're going to have, we're going to share this with the world. And you for the first time are now, I believe, I believe it's the first time seeing yourself on a big screen with an audience. What's that like? I mean, God bless Robert Eggers. He knows us. (laughs) He knows us and he cares about us, which is very, (laughs) very nice to know. Um, He, he showed us the film maybe two hours before the audience screening and I was devastated. I thought I'd never work again. It was like, I still get shivers thinking about it. It was just the worst feeling of, I have let the people I love most in the world down. I, I didn't do it right. It wasn't, you know, I just, and 
I'm, I'm quite verbose. You know, I, I speak, I, I like to talk. I like to communicate. <laughs> um, I did not talk. I what just were you cried. upset about? What did you think had gone wrong? I, I couldn't handle seeing my face that large and I couldn't, and still now it happens. I'm not somebody that from my perspective anyway, and for me and whatever other people decide to do is completely obviously their progressive, but I have to watch the things that I do because it's not about me. It's a whole group of people and you have to respect that work and you have to be there for your friends and support them. But still now I, I never watch something and go, Oh, killed it. Like that was great. You know, (laughs) I'm always, I always have to be holding onto somebody's hand and I, it's a wrench, you know, it's a really strong grip. And then I usually cry afterwards. I, I never think I'm any good, but I, I like a, appreciating the film around me. I don't know wow. if that answers the question. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, it, and, and I wonder though, how you computed when it's now, or how you reconciled. All right, that's how you react to seeing the movie. Two hours later, everyone else sees the movie and goes nuts about it. Robert wins the Best Director Award at at Sundance. You end up winning uh, the Gotham Award for Breakthrough Performance for that performance. And, you know, I think that's really what catapulted everything that's followed. So the idea in your mind that you had somehow underperformed and everybody else is now telling you you were amazing. how (laughs) How do you process that? I'm just so grateful that they keep letting me work. That's all I want to do. <laughs> I just want to keep working. So I'm like, if, if that was it for you, I can do that again. If you let me. Um, yeah, it's so, I, I don't think, you know, I, I've now been working for seven, seven years, I think. Wow. That's wild. Um, <laughs> I've now been working for seven years and there are certain things that I thought I would grow out of and I'm just not growing out of them. It's, <laughs> I, I still believe that filmmaking is a private thing that you do with a private group of people that is very special. And I'm still surprised when the movie comes out, <laughs> I still have to go through the thought of anybody's going to see me do what? Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, how am I going to cope with it? <laughs> Well, it's amazing because you have done a lot. You must have had that experience of going through that cycle of emotions quite a lot because in, as you know, you've said six, seven years, you've done a lot of work. I mean, it seems like it's been nonstop. And so right after The Witch, let's just note, I don't know if this was exactly the order that they were shot, but in terms of the order they were released, we had Morgan, you're the title character. This is Luke Scott's directorial debut. In 2016, the same year you play Obama's college girlfriend in Barry. Um, there's also the next year Thoroughbreds and numerous others that I'm I'm gonna not gonna cover all of them. But I think it seems like the next really, not to put words in your mouth, but my sense from reading things like a real profound experience was with M Night Shyamalan, where initially in 2016 is split. And then revisiting a character for the first time three years later with Glass, just to familiarize or remind people, Casey, this young woman who's abducted by a guy with dissociative identity disorder, played by James McAvoy, who's so great as well. Brilliant. Uh, Yeah, no, just, uh, and these were movies that, you know, 
had quite an audience. So I guess I just wonder, it seems like you really took a lot away from the experience of working with Knight and with James and uh, and that the two experiences, the two films, obviously, you know, you were very different times in your development. Um, just anything you have to share about that one or those yeah, ones, absolutely. I should say. Um, it was so funny. Actually, the other day I did, um, I did an interview with the casting director of Queen's Gambit, Ellen Lewis, and she, she reminded me that we had met in New York during this period. So when I got split, but at the time... I had been, I, I think I'd just, yeah, I'd just done Morgan and I had no place to live. So I just had two suitcases and I was bouncing around people's couches and I'd walk into ca like casting director's offices with these two giant suitcases <laughs> being like, I swear I'm completely together. I know all the lines and I just, I have no place to keep all of my stuff. Can I just leave it in your corridor? I was like, oh, I'm very glad I'm less messy now, Ellen. Very, very glad. Um, not much, not much less, but still. Um, yeah, I, so for Split, the, the sides, that's all we had. We had no concept of what the movie was. Um, but I did a tape for it with the lovely Doug Abel, who I adore. And, um, then night asked to, to see me. And just from the second night and I were in the same room, I understood it. Like there was something about the way that our brains worked together that felt very calm, but also like we could go at the speed of light. Like I was always like two, you know, we were just two steps ahead of each other, but together. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Casey was, Casey was, is so special to me and I'm so glad I got to revisit her. But what night really gave me was, you know, that, that thing I was saying about crying from a place of bad things that have happened to you. I had a, a big scene as Casey where she's really crying over her um, sexual abuse when she was younger. And I, I did the scene once and night very gently came up to me and just said, that was beautiful but I know you and I've seen you cry and that's how you cry. You need to not be selfish and you need to give the character her own tears. And again, my brain was blown. The concept of acting from a place of empathy, not crying for yourself or for things. Cause at least for me, I think I'd run dry. I don't know. It wouldn't be as, it wouldn't be as cathartic for me. I'm, I'm very, I'm a very empathetic person. I think when I have a character that's in my care, the level of care I have for them, it just means that the, the pool of emotion does not stop. I can keep going and keep going and keep going. And when you're covering scenes, you know, from every angle or when it is a 10 hour day of sobbing or being hysterical, it's good to have those reserves because otherwise you're just panicked. Or screwed. One of the two. And I, <laughs> well, and I, I gathered maybe this was this would have been more the case on glass, but I think Knight recognized that you wanted that you may one day want to direct yourself and sort of brought you into that thought process that he goes through as a director. Mm -hmm. He's always been incredibly supportive. Um, I just I love set. And so when I'm not in front of the camera, I'm behind it somewhere. I'm learning something from some department because I love it. Like, it's amazing. And I, I get to work with such interesting people that it's like, why wouldn't you take the opportunity to learn from them if it's not too annoying for them? You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, on Glass, especially, I think he saw 
he saw how I was relating to the monitor because I'd never looked at the monitor before. And then I started doing it because I realized, oh, it's, again, I've never done theater, but you know what your stage is. If you see the shot and you understand what the shot is, then you can use it. That's mm-hmm. another you know thing that you've got in your toolbox. So on glass, he would let me um, just sit behind him at Video Village and watch everything that I wasn't in and then turn around after every take and go, what would you do? What What's different about this? What would you like about this? And how do you feel about this camera angle or this lens? Do you want to swap lens? Like, do you want to use the diopter? Like, you know, just in things that got my brain going. Um, and I'm so grateful to him for that. It's fascinating. It is interesting. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So it would appear on the outside that by 2019, when Glass was coming out, you it would seem like things were going exactly the way you would want. Uh, you One would assume you're thrilled with the progression of your career and happy with life and all of that. And yet I have read that in early 2019 at probably around the same time that that was getting ready to come out, you were ready to quit acting. What was that about? Yeah. Um, what it was about is I, it took me a second to realize that the people around me weren't working the way that I was working and the way that I was working was unique. I thought that was just the way it went. I thought everybody finished a job, got on a plane, started the next job. And I am incredibly grateful that that's the way that I've learned how to work. And I'm, you know, I think my family will agree. I'm very grateful to have a job that makes me tired because I have a lot of energy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, these are pivotal years in your development. I'm still in, you know, my pivotal years of development as a person And I had just put all of my energy into fleshing out other people. And I suddenly got to a point where I had no idea who I was, like not a single concept and, you know, trying to hold on to relationships and trying to build like a home without having any kind of root or tether because I hadn't figured out that I had to be that for myself. And so I, I got Emma as a job. I got Jane Austen's Emma as a job. And that really panicked me because it was a role that was supposed to be beautiful, like from the offset. And I hadn't done that. I played creatures. I feel very comfortable with creatures. I played, you know, outsiders, whatever. For some reason, I guess that triggered some childhood trauma. And I was like, I can't do it. There's no way I'm going to really let people down. And then After Emma, I'd been talking to Edgar Wright about doing his movie last night in Soho for ages, but the only way that was going to work was if I had a day off in between them. And then I read Queen's Gambit, and the only way that was going to work is if I had a day off there. So I literally worked for a year. I had, I think, collectively a week off that entire year, including travel days. Like, it just wasn't, 
it was it was crazy and I was already starting off at an emotional place where I was like oh I don't know if I can if I can do this um but it it, it's the year that has most changed me it's the year where I've most grown it's the year I I fell in I just fell in love with my job again I really did I think I was just tapped out and I'd, I'd forgotten what it was I'd forgotten that the job feeds me and I felt like I'd been feeding it for a little while if that makes sense uh, yeah, absolutely. And so just though to make sure that people, including myself, I just want to make sure I have the chronology exactly right. So this moment of kind of crisis was as you were rehearsing, getting ready to do Emma, right? Um, now, Emma, though, I, I get what you're saying that you there's a, a period where you're going from Emma one day off um, last night in Soho, one day off, then... Queen's Gambit, right? One day off. But so it was the idea that it was having already been kind of in maybe emotional crisis leading up to Emma. Now you're looking ahead and it's just overwhelming that there's no end in sight. Is that fair to say what it was? Uh, No, it was more that. So I'd done the year before. So 2018, I'd done a movie in Ireland. Then I'd done Dark Crystal and Peaky Blinders at the same time and had gone through a breakup and then January like 5th or something I was doing half day rehearsals on Emma half day rehearsals on Last Night in Soho and I just I just got completely overwhelmed it's, yeah. um, J.M. Barry says that fairies are so small that they can only feel one emotion at a time and I think the way that I think about that time is like I was fairy sized but had all of the feelings all of the time and I couldn't I couldn't catch on to them. I couldn't hold them and, and process them in any way. Um, and that came through the work. That's, you know, it was it was things like I'd have piano lessons for Emma in the afternoon, but then for last night in Soho, they'd need to put these big acrylic nails on me. So I'd get to the piano shop and I wouldn't be able to play. And I would take that as I did something wrong. Like I wasn't there enough. Or I, like I was just in a very uh, self-bashing mentality, I think. So you were literally seriously thinking about, I'm just going to stop acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy now, but yeah, I was, um, cause this is not ancient history. This is literally like two years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to think about how, you know, just how much has happened in the last two years that might not have been possible. Yeah. I was, I was very, very lucky. Um, the glorious actress Mia Goth um, is a really good friend of mine and we did a job together in Spain where we really bonded and then she was cast as Harriet Smith and Emma, which was just a dream. But we were coming back from rehearsals and I think I was having some big cry. Like I just, I, because, you know, again, I was working with all of these people that I admired so much and I just thought, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be here. I can't do this, you know? Um, and... I said to Mia, I just said, I, th- I think I'm going to stop. I think I'm going to quit. And Mia, <laughs> I've never seen Mia look so worried in her life. She's like, what are you talking about? This is it. This is what you do. This is the thing that you love more than anything. You can't. Like, I won't let you do it. And she's, you know, she was right. She what was would right. you have done if you had stopped acting? What do you think you would have done? Oh, I've gone mental. Like, just, you know, <laughs> I, I have no, I don't even want to think about it. It would not, it would not have been okay. Um, 
He's also, I think that's, you know, um, I'm slightly dramatic. I don't know if that's... <laughs> I'm, I'm prone to, to slight, slight moments of drama. So yeah, I was like, I'm just going to give up the love of my life and it's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> no, but very, very glad I didn't. And also deeply grateful to my directors and my castmates because they were just so wonderful and so supportive and especially, um, awesome at the beginning of the year and then ending up the year with Scott, like they really are my movie mum and dad and they just took care of me really very intently. And did Emma end up being kind of enjoyable in the sense that, as you said, you up to that point, a lot of what you've been asked to do was heavy, dark, horror centric mm -hmm. stuff here. They're saying, from what I understand, like emulate bringing up baby. That's a very different, <laughs> it's yeah. a very different assignment. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, again, I think I think the reason why I, I had wanted to quit was because I'd forgotten why I did it. I'd forgotten, you know, why my why, I guess. Um, and then you get onto something like Emma and you are gifted with the witticism of Jane Austen. And you, you know, and those incredible costumes by Alexandra Byrne. And, you know, you get to spend six hours in a carriage with the wonderful Bill Nye and just try not to laugh. And I was like, wow, oh, okay. Like, I don't need to worry about whether or not I'm good enough. I have an opportunity and I'm just going to make the most of it. And I'm just going to make sure that I don't leave anything behind and that I'm learning as quickly as possible. And if my brain's occupied in that way, I find that my anxiety can't argue with hard work like with the fact of hard work, like by the time I got to the end of 2019, I couldn't tell myself anymore that I wasn't working hard enough because I, I, I had facts, you know? And so that, that quelled my anxiety quite a bit. So obviously this brings us up to the, not that some of these other things weren't game changers in their own way, but the real mega game changer is Queen's Gambit. And I, you say that, uh, I think you were in the middle of Peaky Blinders and Dark Crystal when you heard about Queen's Gambit. How did you hear about Queen's Gambit? Was this a thing where they, they had seen something of yours and they said, that's who we want. Or was this also another, uh, process of, of getting a part? No, I'm, I'm so incredibly lucky. Um, so from my perspective, I was just told that Scott Frank wanted to meet with me on a project that there wasn't a script for yet, but that there was a book. And if I could, you know, read the book as quickly as possible, then he was in London and he wanted to meet me. I didn't realize he'd come to London to meet me. Um, and so I, you know, I just devoured the book in a single sitting and Honestly, I can't remember. I think the last time I felt that way about a character was Thomason in the sense of... From The Witch, at, yeah. Yeah, at, at the time when I had read The Witch, I didn't understand the feeling. This time I did because mm -hmm. I had it before. And it's my whole body is... It's almost like having a panic attack. My whole body is buzzing and numb and I just can't think of anything else. And so I, I ran to meet Scott, like physically ran to that meeting. <laughs> and just ran into the restaurant. And before he'd even said hello, I was like, it's not about Jess and she has to have red hair. Like, it's just, that is the way it has to be. And Scott was like, yeah, great. I agree. Sit down. <laughs> and you've never, um, you'd never met him at that no, point. No, never. I just, I get very, I get, I get very excited. And I get very <laughs> passionate. 
and I scream at people in restaurants. You can't see me, but I'm, I'm blushing very, very hard. Um, no, and, and luckily we had the same ideas for it, but I just, I was ready to play Beth then. Like I was, I, I just, I had her. Well, let's just, again, if someone's been living under a rock for the last year, just so they know who we're talking about, this is Beth Harmon, who is uh, an orphan girl who discovers the game of chess and it changes her whole trajectory in life. And I wonder why you think you felt such a deep response to it. Is there a parallel between chess and something in your life or just what do you think would evoke such a uh, such a passionate response on your part? Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, you know, the, the book, it obviously goes chronologically, but you know, it it does spend more time with her as a child and just a lot of her thoughts as a kid were thoughts that I had had and they resonated in a way that was painful, but it was painful because it was familiar. It was painful because I really understood the way that she felt about herself, the way that she couldn't quite connect with the environment that she was in and this constant feedback of like, this is, I'm not right. There is something not right here. And when Beth discovers chess, that feeling of, oh, there is a place where I can contribute. There is a place where I can put my energy. There is a place where I will meet like-minded people. That was literally the set of the witch for me. I just, I felt that way so entirely and um you know I think we struggled with with some of the same stuff in our adolescence but the main difference between us that I admire so much about her is that she's less of a people pleaser than I am and so you know I had a friend over with me when when I was playing Beth and she'd always say you know you're great in the morning Beth is scary like I don't (laughs) Like once, once the wig comes on, I just like give you a bit of space. (laughs) I'm less like, hello, love, what do you need? And more like, I need my time and you need to get out of my trailer. (laughs) I need my space. (laughs) Well, just, um, for the record, a couple of quick fact checks, uh, not fact checks, but like people should know this. Um, how much familiarity with the game of chess did you have at the time you were cast? None. <laughs> None. <laughs> and this None. is going to be a pretty important part of the show. Uh, so I guess that was something that just the it was clear from Scott that don't worry, we'll we'll get we've got a group of experts that will address this. <laughs> I think he just trusted me. You know, it, it's um, it's some weird magic that happens when you and a character are aligned and I guess it, it is kind of a placebo effect or maybe just the power of imagination but I was never concerned about whether or not I could do the chess because Beth could do like the chess listen to me could do the chess I mean <laughs> very clearly in Anya territory now Beth is <laughs> Beth is in the show um but I just yeah I never I was never worried about it and I also do really thrive under that kind of pressure of you need to learn this speed chess sequence over three boards in the next five minutes, because if you don't, then nobody can go home and we waste a day. I really thrive on that level of um, adrenaline, I guess. Well, but the other thing that seems kind of poetic about it is that it's not, and we should really emphasize, like, it's not like you can't enjoy this show if you don't 
get the ins and outs yeah. of chess. I certainly don't. And yet I was totally engaged. And I know everyone else that is in a similar, you know, boat going into it has felt the same way. But I think part of that, it's sort of like a, a, a full circle thing with the same as the, when you were found for the modeling where it's like, wait a minute, the very thing that you had been made to feel uncomfortable about was the thing that somebody else felt would, you know, lead to good things for you here. I mean, so there's a lot of moments without dialogue and the camera is right on you. And, you know, what I feel are, and I don't, I hope you don't feel it's weird to talk about this, but like very hypnotic, uh, eyes and face. And like, they, the eyes are supposed to be the portal into the soul. And that's, I mean, for this, character again the things that something that you'd been made to feel weird about were exactly what the doctor ordered right well thank you um Scott yeah I, I again it's so I really do think my brain hides things from me that I can clearly not handle at the time but it just means that I'm consistently confused about things that really shouldn't be confusing so I'm always very aware of the camera but I in my mind don't think it can see me which is like the most childish thing <laughs> I'm like well I mean I can see you but uh. um, and so what's been really wild to get to or to come to terms with about the show is I'll walk out with my sunglasses and my mask and you know and, and just completely covered up and people will recognize me and I won't understand what it is. And then I'll be like, oh, it's because the camera has been stuck to your face for seven hours. For seven like, hours, yeah. You? And it's not even, you know, I, I think, okay, it's it's my face. And then I'll realize that someone watched me walk for seven hours. And I'm like, wow, like that's, that's really, really crazy. But that, um, to weirdly jump onto something different, that was something that I loved about being able to play Beth for that amount of time was that I got to chart her progression um, and really build her up as a person. So I got to do things. I give her different walks and different ways of holding her hands. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. It was an actual. Will you speak of that as an opportunity to, I got to chart and I would feel that I'm not an actor, but that might've been one of the more stressful things because people should know if they're not, in this business that most of the time these things are not shot in sequence here. You've got seven hours spanning the ages of 15 through 21. That could have gone very wrong. If you, if you hadn't really figured out how to chart that, right. I mean, you, that's a responsibility. Absolutely. But it's, it's again, I'm just, Scott, I'm just a weirdo. Like I have a very <laughs> weird particular set of skills that just to help me out. I would be useless anywhere else, but in this particular environment, it helps. So I am very scatterbrained in real life, but on set, it's my joy to be in charge of my continuity, in charge of exactly the level of flush that I have coming in from the last scene that we shot three weeks ago. Like I just speak set and I speak that experience and it makes me so calm because my brain's going a million miles an hour most of the time and then I get to do something useful with it um so yeah we were swapping 
thank goodness for wigs. We were swapping ages, yeah, sometimes three times a day. Um, and so for that, very grateful to our wonderful costume designer, Gabrielle Binder, for, you know, having such eras for Beth, I guess. You know, I could literally put on her shoes and go, oh, okay, we're 15. I, I, I know where we're at. Like, I know how we walk. I know where we're at emotionally. And then um, Daniel, and Those are years when people are really changing a lot. So that's not, yeah. that's not um, a small task to be able to just morph from, as you've said, I think at one point, like one day you're doing episode three, then five, then two. It's like, mm -hmm. it's, that's the thing that I think non-actors have the hardest time wrapping their head around that. This is like, it's not just going and doing the script in order, you know, in order. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. But no, I, well, Hey, thank you. You're being, you're being very kind. Um, but we just, we had the most incredible team. You know, I think things work out the best and you can't, what's weird is maybe you can plan it, but I do think there's an element of serendipity to it. Um, when you have a group of people who are all working collectively towards the same vision and you don't know why it is that you all have the same vision. I mean, things like Scott, our makeup designer, Daniel, and I all independently had the thought that she should have red hair. So that was not a fight. That was not something that any of us had to argue. It was, oh, we're all on the same page. You know, every single day that we would come onto set, we all had the same ideas. And so we could all work towards them um, in that way. So basically a great team of people. I was very, very supported. So in the home stretch here of the last few minutes, I just want to talk about the the reception of this to the of the show and your performance and just how I imagine a lot of things are are changing at this moment when I'm catching you here, which is a <laughs> treat. Um, I mean, let's note March, the world shuts down March 2020. A lot of craziness and question marks about, you know, just what we were all dealing with. And I guess it's October that we start to that that Queen's Gambit drops can you take me to the day? I mean, this is a unique thing with Netflix. I believe, you know, maybe Apple and some of these other streamers do it sometimes, but the idea that one day something just drops and the whole world minus like North Korea can devour it all at once. Um, what was that day like for you? Oh, I was in, I had been in Northern Ireland in Belfast with Robert Eggers again, um, filming a, a movie I'm very, very proud of called The Northman. But that's, I mean, you, you can't get more different than the Northmen and Queen's Gambit. You know, I yeah. had issues in minus three degree weather on top of a mountain just for hours. Like that's, you know, I'd, I'd been in the sea that day, I think, uh, which I loved. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I was, I was isolating. I was alone in this apartment with nothing but my phone. And my phone was telling me information that I could not compute. And then... Luckily, Kate came to stay with me, Kate Dickey, uh, who plays my mum in The Witch. And every day, just more information would come in, and I'd just look at her and I'd say, I, th I, th I think it's going well. <laughs> like, I, I, think, I, th I think people are liking the show. And she was like, yeah, yeah, babe, I think, I think it's going good. But she was very gentle with me because I couldn't quite couldn't quite understand it and also it's very you know I think after the first week that the show had been out I called Scott and just cried like really really cried because 
Beth and I had been on a very private journey together. And, you know, I'm, I'm always awkward about using that word journey, but it, it's, there's no other real way to describe it. And the idea that we were both suddenly so vulnerable really shook me. And I had to quickly mourn because by the time we had finished Queen's Gambit, it wasn't that I was done with Beth, but I was wrecked. Like that was three movies, you know. I I couldn't string a. How long a shoot was it? Uh, last night in Soho finished first week of August, and then yeah, went straight to Canada and shot until I think right before Christmas. I think we shot until like December twenty second. Wow, and you'd never had anything near that scale of an assignment, right? No, um, no, and especially not you know. Last night in Soho, I'm not in every day, but Emma in Queen's Gambit, I was in every scene every day. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's just physically difficult. Like and by the end of it, I realized I was like, oh, cause I'm about to do squat. I'm about to do the same thing again. Um, uh, another I don't learn. <laughs> <laughs> cause I don't learn. I love it. But this time I was like, okay, we need to, like taking care of one's body is important because you can't exist on Diet Coke, coffee and cigarettes no. and <laughs> And do it this way, you know. You you need to eat a vegetable every once in a while. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, so it was in the first month, sixty-two million people subscribers on Netflix apparently watched Queen's Gambit. Um, you at some point come back from Northern Ireland, I imagine, or and I don't know if it's in New York or LA or London, but you probably looked up at some point anywhere you went and saw a giant billboard of your face. I guess, you know, you had carried a movie, a big project before with Emma and there had been, but that came out at the beginning of the pandemic when we were all locked down. So was this a totally new and jarring thing to, to be, to see yourself front and center, not just in a, pro, you know, and if somebody chose to watch a thing that you'd done, but really just out in the world and you're, you're now a face that people know whether they've seen the work or not. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I don't even know where to begin with that because again, you know, I finished, I finished the Northman and went straight back into lockdown for Christmas. And then I was, yeah, I came out to LA to do a, a film and that was shocking. But the way that I, the way that I cope with things that I cannot wrap my head around or that make me feel uncomfortable is I work. And so I was lucky enough to do um, a movie with David O. Russell. So that was you know, incredible. And I was able to push the reality of being more visible or anything like that out of the window. And I think really I've only properly noticed it in the last three weeks. And that's just, it's just a learning curve. You know, it's, it's what's happened in the last three weeks. Um, I've started being followed by people with cameras and really, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging that I'm also very blind, like genuinely very blind. So I don't notice. And then I'll get sent pictures and you're like, Oh, there were people watching me. And I didn't, I didn't know. Or you'll get on a plane and wake up and there's a, a phone in your face and you're like, Whoa, oh. that's, that's new. Um, but yeah. Is it scary? Or are you able to, to process that? I, I, yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't scary, but the majority of people are incredibly kind and they really love the show. And I cannot 
allow myself to feel any kind of sorry for myself because that's ridiculous. It's, you know, I, I'm living my dream. It's just what it is, is a learning curve that people don't prepare you for. And you can only really learn through making mistakes. So I'm just attempting to make as few mistakes as possible. Or not even making mistakes. You didn't do it. I mean, it's, it's not a matter of making mistakes. It's just, it's nothing somebody could ever know and what it's like until it happens. And it's not because of a mistake. It's because you did something very well that people are interested, I guess. I, I was walking with a, with a friend of mine and she was, you know, she, they're, they're so, my friends are so lovely and they're, they're very, um, they're very there from, you know, that we're all learning together, but we were walking and every time I'd get stopped, she'd go, Oh, it must be your hair. So we took the hair away and then, Oh, but it must be this. It must be whatever. And then the other day she was like, babe, it's just your face. Like it's, <laughs> there's nothing we can do about that. It's just your face. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Um, but no, again, people are very kind, you know, and they're very, um, they just love the show. And what a wonderful thing to be able to have conversations with strangers about something that you both care about. It's, it's lovely. Last question is just, um, looking towards the future. Just here we are just so people can familiarize if they listen to this at any point, we're talking on May 1st, we are coming off of you being recognized with a Golden Globe Screen Actors Guild Award, Critics Choice Award, and yeah. probably others that I don't even know, but basically every award that exists for this performance. Um, and you, as you say, you've been working through the pandemic on some other exciting upcoming stuff that, you know, some of which you mentioned, the David O. Russell, uh, then reuniting with Eggers and I think Scott Frank as well. And then there's uh, Furiosa, which I, if you care to say anything, but I guess, is there, might we ever see another incarnation of Queen's Gambit? And just how are you in this moment, looking towards the future, like what's your, is there something specific on the, on the bucket list moving forward or it's just like, take it as it comes? Oh, well, to answer your Queen's Gambit question, we never intended it to be anything other than a limited series. We were shocked when people asked for season two, like, what? <laughs> but, but it's, it's done. Like <laughs> it ended. Um, that I just, the way that I always look at it in this industry is never say never, you know, I don't want to be emphatically like no. And then have Scott call me in 20 years time and go like, Hey, <laughs> how do you feel about Beth as a blah? Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, but not in the foreseeable future. Certainly not. And in terms of how I look to the future from the beginning of 2019, where I wanted to quit acting to the end of it, the thing I'm most secure in is the wilder that the world gets out there in terms of me as an individual, the more I bed into work, the more I love, I just, I'm, I really know why I do this and I do it because I love filmmaking. I love telling stories and I love being trusted with a person and, and figuring them out and, you know, getting to spend time with them and, and giving them a voice. And so I feel I'm, I'm in a weird like place now because I have technically time off, which I'm <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I want to be young, wild and free. I'm not sure I'm that good at it. Like I just, I'm not, it gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, <laughs> 
but I, I've got a bit of a break to basically get myself ready for, for the next go because um, in September I technically start working for the next two and a half years on five different projects and they're all projects that I love but they have a through run which is in one way or another they're physical and that makes me really excited because I've been very um I've been very internal characters and very intellectual characters that don't really use their body in any kind of way and as a performer I'm very excited to have that new instrument in my toolbox so that's furiosa right among them is that the first thing up no that's number three number three (laughs) and and are all the others known or are they some of these still under wraps? I think they're all under wraps. I oh, know. all under wraps. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. I well, I, I know. I think. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the most important. <laughs> no, but to be fair, one of my, one of my producers did come up to me like a couple of days ago and he was like, this is happening. Right. And I was like, dude, yeah, like we're doing it. <laughs> we're, we're having discussions every day. Um, but yeah, no, Furiosa will be uh, will be the third one um, in the lineup, and I I can't wait. I mean, George, he's that brain. It's 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 such a privilege to get to like listen to how flustered I get. It's such a privilege to get to <laughs> to talk to him and and collaborate in that way. Well, can't wait, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's really been a treat discovering. You know, as you say, it's you know, I'm sure six seven years for you feels like it's you know, it's a lot, but I feel like it's been in a relatively short amount of time. We've gotten to see so much of, uh, just so many different things that you can do. It's really a treat. So thanks for that. And thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. It's so kind of you. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for tuning into Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.